Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 2. Here in the book of Romans, Paul is describing how Abraham was justified by faith. And he even mentions that not only was Abraham justified by faith, but David as well was justified the same way we are justified, by faith alone in Christ alone, through grace alone. In verse 4, 11, or chapter 4, verse 11, uh, Paul gives us some very helpful information and terminology when it comes to our consideration of the sacraments. He refers to circumcision as both a sign and a seal. And that will be uh, the topic of our consideration as well from the Heidelberg Catechism. So Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. Please pay careful attention, for this is God's word. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well and to make him the father of the circumcised, who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Well, thus ends the reading of God's word. May he again write this word upon our hearts this morning. Well, please turn in your order of worship to the confessional reading section. This morning we are confessing together Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 25, question and answers 65 through 68. I will read the question if you please respond by reciting the answer. Question 65 asks, It is by faith alone that we share in Christ and all his benefits. Where then does that faith come from? The Holy Spirit works it in our hearts by the preaching of the Holy Gospel, and confirms it by the use of the Holy Sacraments. Question 66 asks, What are sacraments? Sacraments are visible holy signs and seals that were instituted by God, so that by our use of them, 
he might make us understand more clearly the promise of the gospel and seal that promise. And this is God's gospel promise. He grants us forgiveness of sins and eternal life by grace because of Christ's one sacrifice accomplished on the cross. Question 67 asks, Are both the word and the sacraments then intended to focus our faith on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross as the only ground of our salvation? Yes, indeed. The Holy Spirit teaches us in the gospel and confirms us holy sacraments that our entire salvation rests on Christ's one sacrifice for us on the cross. Question 68 asks, How many sacra- uh, sacraments did Christ institute in the New Testament? Two, holy baptism and the holy supper. Well, boys and girls, what are the three main sections of this catechism, and what section are we currently considering? Violet? And which one are we, are we in right now? Very good. And what is true faith? Lily? Knowledge, sense, and trust. Very good. And the content of this faith? Noel? Apostles Creed, very good. Now, what is the benefit of professing true faith? Annabelle? Redemption. It's good. Another way to, uh, to refer to that is justification. So really getting at the same idea. So very good. The benefit of faith is that we are righteous in Christ. Again, notice how faith has functioned as, as a, a theme that's woven through this whole grace section. What is faith? Knowledge, assent, trust. What is the content of faith? The Apostles' Creed, which we devoted many, many weeks to. What is the benefit of faith? That we are righteous in Christ and heirs of everlasting life. And then last week, as we considered the first half of question answer 65, we were engaging the question, where does faith come from? So again, faith has served as this structuring device throughout this grace section. So we're still considering that question, where does faith come from? And implicitly, how does faith grow? Last week, we looked at how uh, God uses the preaching of the gospel, not only to create faith, but also to grow us in our faith. And now we are going to consider how God uses the sacraments to continue to nurture and mature the faith that the Holy Spirit creates in our hearts through his word. Now, the way I'd like us to frame our consideration of this topic is through this question. Are the sacraments primarily God's service to you or your service to God? Or to put it another way, are the sacraments primarily your sign of commitment to God or God's sign of commitment to you. Or to put it yet another way, think of a playing field. If you go to a, a Seahawks game or a professional soccer game or baseball game, you go to that playing field to see athletes 
demonstrate their talent, their skill, and their hard work. So if you think of sacraments as a playing field, whose playing field are the sacraments? Is it God's playing field for him to demonstrate his character, faithfulness, and love towards his people? And are we then, you know, in the, in the stands watching God's demonstrate his love and faithfulness towards us? Or are the sacraments our playing field, playing field where we demonstrate our commitment, our love, and our faithfulness to God who's in, in the bleachers? That's, that's how I want us to, to, to engage this, this topic in this Lord's Day. And uh, I'm not going to answer that question right now, but I'd like us to, to walk through this Lord's Day and at the end of this, return to this question and see how the Heidelberg Catechism and Scripture answers this question. Are the sacraments primarily God's sign to us or our sign to God? You'll notice in question answer 66, these sacraments are visible signs and seals. Visible. Meaning they're physical. We can see the waters of baptism. We can see the, the bread and the wine of, of the Lord's Supper. They're visible. They're physical. Now, why did God give us physical signs and seals to partake of in the church? Any, you can respond to that. Why, why do you think God, I mean, God's given us his word. But why, why the need to give us physical things to experience? Yeah, so there's definitely that pattern in Scripture, as we'll consider in a few moments, where God does follow up with his audible promises with physical signs and, and seals. Jim? Okay, good. You're pointing to the fact that we inhabit a, a material world. We have physical bodies. We're not just souls floating around an immaterial universe. We have flesh and blood. We have bodies. And so, because we are physical creatures, God has given us physical signs for our benefit, for our assurance. Now, if we were just souls floating through an immaterial world, God may not need, God may not have needed to give us physical signs, but we have souls and bodies. And thus, we have an, a longing for the tangible, for the physical, which is one of the reasons why the sacraments are so beneficial for us. You know, Augustine, the church father, spoke of the sacraments as visible words, meaning the message of the sacraments is the same message that we hear in God's word. It's just in a different medium. It comes in, 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 in a way that we can experience with our other senses. We can see it. We can touch it. We can taste it in connection to communion. The word primarily just reaches our ears while these other sacraments engage, while the sacraments engage our other senses. So it's a visible word. And I love how John Calvin speaks about the sacraments in this sense. He says that this, uh, the sacraments are... Or, a, or the sacraments represent God's promises as painted in a picture and sets them before our sight portrayed graphically and in the manner of images. 
this means is we're not against experience. We're not even against that which is visible or tangible or physical. But God has told us where we should locate our experiences, where we should locate the tangible and the physical. In water, bread, and wine. So these sacraments are visible. They're physical, signs and seals. We also see that these sacraments are instituted by God. God is, of course, the author of his word, but he's also the author of his promises. And just as he's the author of his word and his promises, so too he is the author of the sacraments. He is the one who institutes them. One of the reasons why we don't have seven sacraments, as the church in Rome does, is because of this principle that by definition, a sacrament is a sacrament if Christ or God institutes it. When we read in the New Testament, uh, we only see Christ instituting two sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper. It's a very important principle that uh, we need to keep in mind, that God is the one who institutes these sacraments. Now, these sacraments which are visible, these sacraments which are instituted by God are also signs and seals. That's what we read in question answer 66. Now this language comes from Romans 4.11, which we recently read. In Romans 4.11, God is speaking about Abraham's faith and how he was justified by faith, declared righteous by faith. And then he received circumcision as a sign and and a seal of the righteousness which he had by faith. Now theologians have recognized the close identity that exists between circumcision and baptism, and because of that close identity between circumcision and baptism, they have used this language that Paul employs for circumcision to our new covenant sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper. So baptism and the Lord's Supper also function as signs and seals. So what is a sign? What's the, what, what, what do signs do? They point to something. Good, they signify a reality, which means that the sign is not the reality. There's a distinction between the sign and the reality. You know, think if you're going on a vacation to a particular city San Diego, or Chicago, or Boston, or Seattle. Um, you go to the city, I, I would expect none of us would, would get to the sign that says you are entering you know, San Diego and pitch our tent in front of that sign and just stare at that sign all week, maybe wash the sign off and look at all the various views and perspectives that we can have of the sign. And say, I experienced San Diego because I looked at the sign for 12 hours every day. No, the, the sign is not the city. It's pointing to the city. So it is with the sacraments. The sacraments are not, baptism is not the washing away of sins itself. The supper is not the physical, literal body and blood of Christ that inhabits the bread and the wine. There's a distinction between the sign and the reality. This is one of the errors that, that, that the Roman church makes. They confuse the sign with the thing signified. Sacraments are signs insofar as they point us to Christ and all his benefits. But Christ and all his benefits still need to be received by faith. Now what's a seal? This one might not be quite as um, 
obvious, but what, 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 what is this? How, is it, how do seals work in our ordinary, ordinary life? Authenticate. You may think of that kind of wax impression that, that's stamped upon an official document. And so if you have two, two documents that state the same thing, one has the official seal and one doesn't, you know which one's the phony and which one's the authentic document. The seal seeks to authenticate a particular body of words or a particular document. So sacraments are seals in the sense that they authenticate God's word. What we mean by that is when God gives us sacraments to be a seal to his promises, those sacraments teach us that God's promises are not phony promises. He is not promising and then, you know, crossing his hands behind his back at the same time. These are authentic promises, valid promises, true promises, and the sacraments seal that reality. It doesn't change the promise. It authenticates and confirms for us that these promises are true and valid and worthy of our trust. And Calvin talks about how in Scripture we see many different sacraments, especially in the Old Testament. And these sacraments never precede God's verbal promises, but they always come after God's verbal promises or word. He, he describes sacraments in this sense as an appendix. So you've read a book. You get to the end of the book, the end of the book might have an, an, an appendix or appendices which come after the main body of, of work in that book. And so too, Calvin talks about how the sacraments function like the appendices to God's promises, to God's word. And they come after God's word to signify and seal the promises that we learn about and hear in scripture. And so when you think about the story of redemption, in the garden, God promises Adam that the day he eats the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he will surely die. At that moment, then, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil functioned as a sacrament of sorts, a sign and seal of God's verbal promise. God also promised Adam that if he perfectly obeyed, he would enter into God's seventh-day Sabbath rest. And at that moment, the tree of life functioned as a sacrament of sorts, signifying and, signifying and sealing the promise of new creation. Think of God's covenant with Noah. God promises the Noahic covenant to preserve this present creation until, until the, the second coming of Christ. And he puts a bow in the sky as a sign and seal of that promise. Think of circumcision. God promises Abraham that he'll make Abraham the father of many nations that he will bring Abraham and his family into the land of Canaan. And he gives Abraham the sign of circumcision, which signifies and seals those prior promises. Uh, the, blood of, uh, the blood of the Passover um, functioned as a sign of, of the Mosaic covenant in Exodus chapter 12. In the new covenant, then we see baptism and the Lord's Supper functioning as signs and seals of these new covenant promises of the gospel. So sacraments are visible, they're physical, they're instituted by God, and they are signs and seals of God's verbal promises. 
Well, what's the purpose of sacraments? Why did God give them to us? Of course, he gave them to us, as I said before, because we're physical creatures. But what's the purpose? What are they supposed to do for us? Sean? Communion with Christ. Good. They're a means of grace. Any other phrases or words come to mind? Well, what's the purpose of sacraments? What's God's purpose for giving us the sacraments? Focus us on Christ. Yeah, that's what question answer 67 speaks of. Give us a better understanding of the promises that he's made to us. Yes, a clear understanding of the promises. We see that in question answer 66 as well. Good. Another way you could um, talk about God's purpose for the sacraments is assurance, which is connected to many of the things that you've, you've already mentioned. But one of the reasons God gave us sacraments is because he knows that we are by nature prone to doubt. We have weak faith. And thus he gives us these physical, tangible signs and seals in order to, to assure and nourish our faith. We live in an age where Christ is not bodily with us. And we long for the physical, we long for the tangible, and we know that Christ is not going to bodily be present with us until his return. And therefore, in his absence, he institutes these two physical and tangible sacraments in order to assure us of his goodwill towards us. So again, question answer 66, you see that uh, we confess that the sacraments were instituted by God so that by our use of them, he might make us understand more clearly the promise of the gospel and seal that promise. As Ben said, uh, you know, it does illuminate our understanding of the gospel, but it also seals that promise, meaning it assures us of that promise of the gospel. Remember what we confess in question and answer 21 of the catechism, that part of Faith includes this hearty trust that not only to others, but to me also Christ died. Meaning we are to believe that the gospel is intended for me and for you individually, not just for those people out there. Sacraments seal that, that reality in our hearts. Question 67. Again, are both word and sacraments intended to focus our faith on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ? On the cross as the only ground of our salvation? Yes, indeed. The Holy Spirit teaches us not only in uh, the gospel or the word, but confirms it in the sacraments that our entire salvation rests not in ourselves, but in Christ's work on our behalf. So you can see that at the heart of God's purpose for the sacraments is our assurance of the gospel, that the gospel is for me and for you. Now, I once heard uh, Sinclair Ferguson, a Reformed uh, pastor, theologian, he described this reality, I think, in a helpful way, and he used the analogy of, of marriage. So imagine if, um, husbands, imagine if you only told your wife that you loved them, but you never physically or tangibly showed them your love in, in, in acts of service. That's not a recipe for a very good marriage. Now, imagine... Uh, you tell your spouse that you love them and you show them that love through physical, tangible acts. That is a recipe for a healthy and, and good marriage. Well, in a similar way, God doesn't just verbally tell us that he is for us, that he loves us, but he shows us his love 
physically and tangibly through water, bread, and wine. These are physical demonstrations of God's commitment towards his people. God's love towards his people. The waters of baptism are meant to remind us that Christ on the cross took the plunge into the floodwaters of God's wrath on our behalf. The bread is meant to assure us that Christ's body was broken in our place. We deserved our body to be broken. The blood teaches us, or the, I mean the wine teaches us that Jesus' blood was shed when we deserved our blood to be shed. God shows us these, uh, his love for us in physical and tangible ways. You know, uh, Calvin, when he speaks about these sacraments, he also uh, uses an analogy which I think is helpful, and he uses the illustration of a structure or a house. A house. And he says, um, you know, our faith is like this structure. He says that our faith is built upon the foundation of God's word, and the sacraments are like the support columns in this building. Therefore, the main place where we seek to find assurance is in God's word. Sacraments then come as support columns to, to our faith and to the assurance of our faith. It's very helpful when we have both. When we have the word and the sacraments. Now the sacraments aren't given to us because God's word is somehow deficient. When we hear this language of, of signifying and sealing, it may seem as if God's word isn't sufficient to assure us and comfort us. The, that's, not what we, we, that's not what the catechism is teaching here, or nor is God's word teaching that. The problem is not with God's word, it's with us. And therefore, the sacraments come to seal our faith in God's word. There's nothing that necessarily needs to be added to God's word. God's word is sufficient. It's that we are prone to doubt. We are sinful. We are weak. And therefore, the sacraments are meant to confirm our faith in God's word and in his promises. Now, when you look at Lord's Day uh, 25, uh, these question and answers, who is the, who, who, which member of the Trinity is the, the doer in the sacraments? Who is making the sacraments effective? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. So you see question and answer 65. The Holy Spirit is the one who works faith in our hearts by the word and then confirms this faith through the sacraments. Question answer 67. It's the Spirit who teaches us, both in the Word and the sacraments, that our salvation rests in Christ alone. Uh, one particular theologian describes it this way, which I think is helpful. He says, if the Spirit be lacking, the sacraments can accomplish nothing more in our minds than the splendor of the sun shining upon blind eyes or a voice sounding in deaf ears. So without the Spirit's presence and work, the sacraments will be just as effective as, as the sun shining on the eyes of a blind person or someone shouting in the ears of someone who's completely deaf. The sacrament, I mean, the, the spirit is needed to make not just the word effectual, but the sacraments effectual for our uh, sustenance and, and growth in the faith. Again, if you return to that initial question that I asked at the beginning, are the sacraments God's playing field or our playing field? Based on these question and answers and, and some of the, the, the verses that we have considered, how would you respond to that question? 
God's playing field. Now, this is very important to understand before we consider the specifics of baptism or the Lord's Supper. Because if we begin with an understanding of the sacraments in which the sacraments are primarily my playing field in which I demonstrate my faithfulness and my commitment to God, that's going to skew your understanding of baptism and the Lord's Supper, and particularly infant baptism. But if we begin with an understanding of the sacraments as being uh, God's playing field where he demonstrates and shows his love and covenantal commitment to his people, that will change our specific consideration of, of these two individual sacraments. And so it's very helpful and very important that we start with this understanding of the sacraments before we proceed to consider the specifics of baptism and the Lord's Supper. Now, bringing this Lord's Day together, if you remember last week, we, we considered the importance of the preaching of the gospel as the main way in which the Lord not only creates faith in our hearts, but continues to grow that faith. And today we see that the other recipe to Christian growth over the long haul is the sacraments, or uh, a faithful attendance and, and, and partaking of, of the sacraments. Now, when we connect this to what we heard this morning in Luke 24, we see that the main way in which the Lord has intended for his people to grow is through gathering on the first day of the week to hear the gospel proclaimed and to experience the presence of Christ in the breaking of bread. Now, uh, I, I, uh, I assume that none of you here are, are pastors, and so that means that all of you here are called by God for the bulk of your week to secular vocations, a job, family life, other commitments in, in the neighborhood or community. As a pastor, I have the privilege of being, you know, bulk of my week is set aside for the, the ministry of the word and prayer. But if you're not a pastor, God has called you to a different legitimate vocation. Which means that I think oftentimes we can feel a little bit of guilt that we don't have enough time for private piety, private devotions, the reading of scripture and, and prayer. As I said last week, the scripture, scripture doesn't explicitly refer to private piety. It binds our conscience to the public means of grace. Now what's comforting for us is that the Lord has given us and provided us one day in seven for our primary spiritual growth which occurs when we gather in moments like this to administer the word and the sacraments. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't give thought to family devotions or private devotions, but over the long haul, the way we and our family will grow is faithful attendance to the ministry of the word and the sacraments. Well, next week we will, or next uh, two weeks, we will uh, dive into our understanding of baptism as a sacrament and a means of God demonstrating his love and commitment towards us his people. So let us pray. Merciful Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your sacraments which you have given in order to signify and seal the promises that we hear in your word. Uh, we pray that uh, your spirit would be present um, every time we witness a baptism, every time we partake of the Lord's Supper, that you would use these means to strengthen and nurture the faith that your spirit has, has produced in our hearts. We also pray for the needs of your